Morning, everyone. How are we this morning? For those of you that were here last week, um, Angela was talking about different kinds of service. And uh, she finished up by posing a few questions for us. And one of the questions that she asked was, what does God dream for your role in his kingdom? What does God dream for your role in his kingdom? And I guess what I'm talking about this morning partially answers that. It, not completely by any means, but it, it at least partially answers that. It, it tells us something about what God dreams for us to be doing. So the, the title of the talk I've, I've been given is Different Ways to Win Others. Uh, on this series of, of being different or doing things differently, different ways to win others. I thought I would start with this, and the relevance of this probably will become apparent as we go on. Uh, this is uh, a website. Uh, if you're a student, if you're a foreign student coming to the UK, there are lots of different websites out there that you can go and look, and you can see what it's going to be like coming to study in the UK, because it's a different country and we do things differently here. So this is one of the, the websites, Study in UK. So a foreign student can go on this website and they can get some information. Now, this website has a page where it talks about British culture and social norms. British culture and social norms. What it's going to be like coming into the UK and living amongst us. And on this page, they listed 11 different things that a foreign student should know about coming into the UK and living in the UK. Now, you might wonder what those 11 things are. You might have an idea what some of those 11 things are. You know, we're passionate about drinking tea in the afternoon. <laughs> well, the 11 things that they came up with, and I don't know why they come up with these particular 11 things, but these are the 11 things. Uh, they highlighted that the British are punctual. So, you know, like... like <laughs> Like good British, at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, 10.30 prompt, you arrive here for our particular gathering. Uh, don't queue jump. Now, of course, queues are very important to the British, so you don't queue jump. Uh, apparently, when you're talking to somebody, particularly somebody you don't know very well, you have to keep them at an arm's length. You don't invade their personal space. Uh, we're very good at being polite. We say, please thank you, and every conversation is punctuated by sorry. <laughs> Doesn't particularly matter why, but you just have to include the word sorry. We greet by shaking hands, particularly, again, if you don't know somebody very well, you don't go up and kiss them on the cheek. Not done in British culture. Apparently, as British, we have a, a huge amount of respect for the elderly and the disabled. We generally avoid direct eye contact <laughs> with strangers, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Try going on the London tube and making eye contact with a lot of people. It creates some interesting responses. Uh, we tend to avoid superlatives. We don't get into flowery language too much. Um, if you are invited by somebody to their house, you would be expected to buy them a little gift, a box of chocolates or some flowers. Uh, if somebody 
invites you to go out to dinner, they're likely to pay for you. You don't have to pay for you. And if you're invited to go to the pub, then you are likely to have to pay for a round of drinks. So those were the top 11 things on the website. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you wonder why. But those were the top 11 things on the website to introduce a foreign student to British culture. And the point is, we're all different, aren't we? Every country is different, has its own set of traditions and social norms, but it's not just the country that you live in. It's the people that you mix with. Yeah, we've got our class culture. We've got our socioeconomic structure. What we do and the way we do things are determined by the social circles that we keep. Social norms become a really important part of who we are. So these sort of things, culture, tradition, the rules of life, those unwritten rules that we live by, even the laws of the land, these are all part of what make us who we are and characterize how we live our lives. Well, that is, in fact, an important backdrop to uh, the passage in Paul's first letter to Corinthians that Steve read right at the start of the meeting. And I'm not going to read it all now because we'll go through this in a few minutes. But this is a really important part, passage, in, in the middle of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Just by way of context... Paul was writing to this church based in Corinth. Corinth is a, a city in Greece. You can see it on the map there. That's where it is. This was a letter that was written probably about 25 years after Jesus died. Only about 25 years after Jesus died. So this is a young church that was established in Corinth. At that time, Corinth was actually the most important city in Greece by far the most important city in Greece. It probably had somewhere between half a million and a million people living there. It was a really wealthy city, a city characterized by luxury, but also characterized by a huge amount of immorality as well. And there was a lot of idol worship that went on. It was a city where there was a mixture of Jews and people that followed the Jewish religion, and Gentiles, non-Jewish people as well. Multicultural, if you like. And Paul's writing to this young church that was established there. And like many churches, they had problems. And Paul was writing to give them some advice. But some of their problems were divisions. There were different factions within the church that had developed, which saddened Paul immensely. There were some disputes amongst the people in the church. Not unusual to have some disputes, but uh, these disputes had led some of the people in the church to take each other to the courts, using the legal system to try and resolve disputes rather than resolving them amongst themselves. They had difficulties uh, with marriage and relationships. So lots of things that were going on that Paul was writing to them about. 
One of the important things, though, and, and something that forms a big part of his letter to the Corinthians, was talking to them about the freedom that they had in Christ. Freedom in Christ is a fantastic thing, and we've, we've been thinking about that as we've been singing the worship songs this morning, as we've shared in the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice, remembering the death of Jesus. Jesus died to set us free, right? Jesus died so that we don't have to worry about all the things we've done wrong, and we've all done them. But at the foot of the cross, we can turn to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, and we know that God forgives everything. God just wipes the slate clean, and he says, it's okay. You can come to me. Jesus died so that you can come to me. Come and have new life in me. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. And that tells us that we have hope as well. That one day we're going to live with God. We have this freedom. As Jenny said, there, there is nothing that we can do that can make God love us more. We can't follow a set of rules that would make God love us more than he does now. There's nothing that we can do that will make God love us less. It doesn't matter. We can turn to God. We can find forgiveness. We have freedom because of that. Freedom in Christ. Freedom to set aside what we've done in the past. This is grace. This is something that God gives us freely unconditionally it's undeserved but we receive it from God Jesus died to set us free we don't have to follow a set of rules the trouble is uh, as Voltaire the French philosopher said you know with great power comes great responsibility we could say equally with great freedom, and we have great freedom. With great freedom also comes great responsibility. We're free. We don't have to follow a set of rules and know that we need to obey those rules to be right with God. That's never going to work. We are free from that. But part of Paul's arguments to the Corinthians who were struggling with this idea of freedom was freedom doesn't mean that you can do whatever you like. God has bought our freedom so that we can live in him. So that we can live, if you like, under the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus told us what we need to do. Two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the law of Christ. Corinthians were struggling with that. They were thinking that this freedom in Christ means that they could do whatever they like and it really didn't matter. And Paul was saying to them, look, it does matter because when you do whatever you like, you're going to be turning your back on God again. You're just going to be falling back in your own old ways. You're going to become a slave to sin again, turning your back on God. Be responsible with the freedom that you've got. And so that is the, the backdrop to this letter that Paul was writing to the Corinthians. And so we're going to look just at a, a little part of that letter now. 
where Paul starts to talk to them about how he is using his freedom, the freedom he has in Christ. So he starts off, though I am free, I'm completely free, he says. I belong to no man, yet I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So he says, I'm completely free. But because of that freedom, because of that freedom God has given me, I actually make myself a slave to everybody to try and win as many as possible. So he goes on to say, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Now, Paul himself was a Jew. The Jews still believed that salvation, being right with God, came through strict adherence to a massive set of rules and regulations and rituals, the Old Testament law. And there would have been others in Corinth others who followed the Jewish tradition as well. Those that Paul is saying were under the law. So Jews and people that were following the Jewish tradition. Paul knew that Jesus was the answer. Paul knew that Jesus sets us free from all of those rules and regulations and rituals. But he knew that if he was trying to communicate with the Jews, then he needed to become like a Jew. He needed to show that he was prepared to follow those rules and rituals and laws. If he didn't do that, he would have been kicked out of the synagogue where he wanted to preach. He probably wouldn't have been welcomed in their homes. So what he was saying was, Look, it's not a sin, it's not wrong for me to follow these different rules, these different rituals. It's part of that Jewish culture. And I'm quite happy to do that so that I can get alongside them. So that I can share the good news about Jesus. Because if I don't get alongside them, I'm not going to have the opportunity to. Paul wasn't subject to the law. He was free from having to keep it. But... He voluntarily did that whilst he was with the Jews so that he was able to communicate with them effectively. Then he says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. What he's saying here, effectively, is that there were Gentiles as well, non-Jewish people, that he wanted to share the gospel with. And if he was trying to get alongside non-Jewish people, he wouldn't try to keep Jewish laws and Jewish rituals. They were meaningless for non-Jewish people. For example, not eating certain types of meat. 
If you're a non-Jewish person and that's meaningless to you, no point in somebody trying to come in and say, well, I'm not going to eat that sort of thing. That creates barriers. Paul was desperate to try and remove those barriers. So if it's a non-Jewish person, he would get alongside them in an appropriate way. He then goes on to say, to the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. It's not entirely clear what he means when he says, to the weak I became weak. Probably he was talking about relatively new Christians. People that were new to the Christian faith that maybe weren't quite sure what was right or wrong. For example, in in Corinth, there was a lot of pagan worship. And people used to go to the temple and offer meat to pagan gods. Some of the Corinthian Christians were quite happy to go to the (coughs) temple and eat the meat that had been offered to these (coughs) pagan gods. And what Paul said to them, you're free in Christ. You don't have to worry that that meat was offered to pagan idols. That's not important. You're free in Christ. You're free to to eat that sort of meat if you want to. But just think about your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've got brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, if that would be a problem for them, if they're not sure if that's the right thing to do or not, don't make it difficult for them. Don't do it. Don't be a stumbling block to them if it causes them problems. What Paul is getting at here in all of these examples, his guiding principle is that he wanted to adapt his lifestyle and his customs as far as he possibly could, not ignoring his conscience, not ignoring the guidance of the spirit within him, but bearing that in mind to be as adaptable as he possibly could to the people he was trying to communicate with. He wanted to do everything possible to fit in with them. Everything that he could. And the reason for that was absolutely clear. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Paul was desperate that nothing would get in the way of him being able to share the good news about Jesus. He just wanted to be as adaptable as possible so that he was able to share the good news of Jesus. Five times in this short little passage in his letter, he says he wants to win people. He wants to win people. I want to win people. You know, when, when you get back home today, read this passage. If you read it a few times, you cannot help but be struck by just how passionate Paul is. He was absolutely desperate. Nothing, nothing should get in the way 
of being able to share the good news about Jesus. He wanted the right, he wanted to earn the right to be able to talk to people about Jesus. And you can't do that from the outside. You have to get alongside people. You have to walk with them. You have to understand them. You have to earn the right to be able to talk to them. You with me? So I guess the question for us is how desperate are we? How desperate are we? If you do meet in small groups this week, there's going to be some questions that will look at that. And so I would encourage you to do that either in small groups or if you're not going to be in a small group because of the meeting on Tuesday night, then look at the questions anyway. They're on the website. So look at the questions and just think about it yourself, how this might apply to you and to me and how it applies to our church as well. For this church, for us, we don't have many of the traditions and rituals that a lot of the established <coughs> churches have in the UK. Oh, that's a good thing. We like to be a church that doesn't have a lot of trappings, a lot of tradition around what we do. can create barriers. But we need to examine ourselves because it's very easy to develop our own traditions isn't it <coughs> we think we don't have traditions but actually we end up creating our own traditions and we have to think about where we are as a church and what we're doing now how how easy is it for somebody who's never been to church to walk in here on a Sunday morning understand what's going on and be a part of what's going on or are there things that we do or the way that we do them that create barriers? We need to assess these things. How relevant are we to the culture that we're in? How easy is it for young people to come in here and to feel that this really connects with them, something relevant for them? Maybe we should think about that next time we want to complain about how loud the worship group is on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but seriously, you know, there, there are things that we might find irritating from time to time. But how desperate are we to adapt so that we can connect with people meaningfully, so that we can share the good news of Jesus? And as a church, there's a real challenge for us when we are looking to move into the Methodist building as well. From being a church without walls, we're going to be moving into a traditional church building. And that's going to create some problems for us. If we want to connect with people who don't know what church is. So there are things that we need to think about as a church how we do things, we need to be constantly reassessing how we do things and why we do things. But also as individuals, also as individuals. Every day, every day, I promise you, consciously or subconsciously, we make decisions about what other people are worth. 
For those of you that are parents, you remember that day when you first held the newborn baby in your arms? And do you remember that feeling just down in the pit of your stomach and you think, I would do anything to protect this little life. Yeah? Or maybe when you got married, you know, and that, that feeling, your husband or your wife, you know, what, what would I do without them? What lengths would I go to to protect them, to defend them? We've got a set of standards that determines how far we would go to protect, to defend, to help someone else. And surely that's what Paul was getting at here. There's no greater help we can give anybody than to share the good news of Jesus. And what Paul's do is in Paul's doing is encouraging the Corinthians and encouraging us to do whatever it takes. As long as it doesn't compromise our conscience, as long as it doesn't compromise the guidance of the Spirit in our lives, we should do whatever it takes to get alongside others, to put ourselves in a position where we can meaningfully share the good news of Jesus. to be an adaptable disciple under the law of Christ. And there's an urgency to this as well. Again, you go home and read this passage in Corinthians and, and you, you will, I'm sure, be struck by the urgency with which Paul is talking. We're supposed to be a beacon of the love of Christ to all the different people we encounter, regardless of their culture, regardless of their social background. How far would you go to help someone trust in Jesus? What would you compromise to get alongside them to be able to share the love of Jesus? We need to see other people with kingdom eyes, with God's eyes. We need to see people and to know that they are deeply loved by God. And he is desperate for someone to share the news of Jesus with them. We're called to be different. And that is absolutely true. Yeah, we've talked in the recent past about the fact that we are in the world but not of the world we are renewed we are transformed we are free under Christ but what Paul is reminding us here is that we're not to have our heads in the clouds we are different but our feet have got to be firmly planted on the ground. We've got to do everything we can to be part of the world so that we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. 
So I'd encourage you, uh, re read this short passage again when you get back home. Let its meaning sink in. As we seek the transformational power of Jesus for this town. In the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, and for the glory of God. Amen.